Thanks for tuning in to this bonus episode of Balling in the Six. We're going to start off with a message from Portland correspondent Samuel Jeffries, and then we're going to take a look at three particularly interesting and disappointing Western Conference sites. Blazers sat in 4 and 8, 13th in the Western Conference, ahead of only the New Orleans Pelicans and the injury ridden Golden State Warriors. And the real reason for this, for the Blazers, was a lack of defence and an injury to probably their third or fourth best but second most important player in Zach Collins. Zach Collins provided a lot of defence, he could stretch the floor, and he was one of their only true fours on the roster. Now that Anthony Tolliver looks like a washed-up 39-year-old who can't shoot a three to save his life, and Mario Hazonia just doesn't know what to do when he's got the ball. Both being incredibly inefficient and not playing defence. So what do the Portland Trailblazers do? They sign Carmelo Anthony. The real question, though, is, can Melo help the Blazers? In my opinion, it can help only to a small extent, really. It's a more of a move of desperation rather than anything else. In his last season with the Rockets, he shot average through his, for the league at 35.7% through his 11 games there. And yeah, that can help the Blazers, who currently have no one shooting above 25%, or however low it is at the power forward position from three and it can help them on offense but defensively he'll be a liability that's the real issue here the Blazers might put up 115 points a game but it doesn't matter if their opponent's putting up 120 and I don't think Melo helps with that but what it does do is it will take away the threat of a trap from the defense on the pick and roll because Lillard and McCollum are getting blitzed and let me tell you why so how's Melo going to help Dame and CJ when they get blitzed? This is how, alright? Listen here. Carmelo Anthony, although he gets so much hate nowadays, is still, maybe an inefficient one, but still a fantastic scorer of the basketball. If you put him in a 4-on-3 scenario with his IQ and with his renewed hunger that he has because he wants to play NBA basketball he loves the game of basketball with his renewed hunger to play a great role on a team and get his team winning which will secure him a place on a team then he can do that for you he, because too often the Blazers haven't been able to capitalise on these 4-3 and three scenarios with the ball in Whiteside or Hazonia's hands and so that's why I help them but doesn't do much on defense it's just a strategy to hold out till december 15th where they can make a trade with one of their newly acquired pieces welcome back to another episode of balling in the six this is a bonus feature podcast we made specifically as an apology for last week's technical issues and in this week we're gonna have a look at a fallen team a team that has once ruled the whole of the NBA that once struck fear into the hearts of the likes of LeBron, the likes of AD, and even for a time, the likes of Kawhi. However, it was also a team that the Raptors brought down. The Raptors arguably brought down one of the greatest dynasties in NBA history. 
and to introduce that my, 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 and dissect my, my. it to dissect it with the precision of Emily Maitlis dissecting Prince Andrew it's Varala Gisi my 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 how the mighty have fallen and I would not go as far as uh, my esteemed friend Kamel is saying uh, the Raptors almost single-handedly brought down this dynasty I think they honestly had a very little role to play when it came to this team uh, breaking apart in the summer but yeah I mean we expected the Warriors when losing like three key additions um, sorry three key players during the summer so obviously we had KD slithering away we had Andre Iguodala um, join Pastors New is he currently with the team Kamel? Andre Iguodala? You mean the man on the Memphis Grizzlies? Right. Okay. I, I, yeah, I honestly, he's, I he's not. He hasn't played this whole NBA season. Yeah, yeah, no. He um, he yeah, got. He's, so he, I haven't seen anything of him. I, I see him Memphis. Uh, no, they're refusing to buy him out. Oh, okay. Fine, fine. Uh, but the last player I uh, just mentioned was uh, Sean Livingston, and um, this will kind of go into my point as to why the Warriors have been struggling so much. Um. I think it's been really analysed to death and I am going to analyse it beyond the grave but the Warriors defence this season in every single statistical category pretty much every single category they've been bottom of the table so when it comes to the number of three point shots allowed um, by the other team let alone made um, the number of points they're giving up in the paint um, offensive uh, sorry opposition points off of turnovers uh, it's been a catastrophic failure and it, it does go back to losing those three key wing perimeter defenders I mean uh, KD not so much but um, it just showed you how integral uh, Andre Iguodala was like he was him alongside Kay of course but they both usually guarded you know the best shooting guards slash shooting forward on the opposition team and um so you have those three missing you have kevon looney who's only played one game this season um of course he was coming on leaps and bounds on the defensive end under let's say draymond's tutelage and then you also have a draymond green that is not the same draymond green this isn't defensive player of the year green and uh, to to look at why this is the case, I think part of Draymond's defensive impact was not only his individual, you know, brilliance um, when it came to when it came to just switching or whatever it is, just man to man defense, but he's also the communicative anchor, and um, he's actually talked about in the media how um, part of the team's struggle has been the lack of you know communication. And to clarify my point about Draymond, it's not mainly his fault. Um, it seems he may have lost uh, his step somewhat, but it really does come down to the fact that uh, he would always make his teammates better around him uh, because he was the leader when it came to communication. And I think the, with the fact that you have all these rookies and all these GD players, um, they're struggling uh, when it comes to communicating effectively and 
hopefully that that is something that will get coached into them and in fact Steve Kerr during last uh, midweek after the loss to the Lakers um, instead of doing like a, a normal drill he did a very very heavy defensive drill to try and uh, hopefully uh, see like drastic improvements uh, within the coming days and weeks and in fact we did see a much improved defensive performance against the Celtics so we'll see um, whether the defense continu- continues to um, suck or whether we will start seeing improvements but um, it, it does also depend on wh- uh, which of the players we get back so if uh, Kevon Looney comes back for example yeah well just going back to Draymond actually he was of course, one of the few recognisable players left from last season. Um, and it's probably worth revisiting how the Warriors got to this spot in the first place. Let's not forget they were favourites in every single round of playoffs. They beat the Clippers with, you know, a fair amount of ease. They beat the Rockets. They beat the Sweat the Blazers without Kevin Durant. And even without Durant in the finals, they were still quite heavy favourites to beat the Raptors. And you look at this season, a very different roster, a very young roster, a 2-11 record at the time of recording. We've got to look at the destruction of this dynasty and whether it can rebuild and whether the signs have been there or whether they have a lot more work to do. So obviously, we all know they traded Kevin Durant to the Nets for Mr. Russell. A good trade in effort because Russell's actually been one of their better players this season and I'm sure you can go into that a little bit later uh, whether you agree or not but then they've been playing sort of we'll, we'll discuss the scrubs of course Curry's injury has essentially meant that this is a tanking non-play or at least a non-playoff season for the Warriors and Draymond of course is playing limited minutes he's playing under 30 minutes a game um and, and all your points about him being the main communicator are right when it comes to seeing the Warriors' overall performance without him on the court. Um, so what do you think of the Warriors' roster, especially we look at those new recruits like D'Angelo? Yeah, overall. Yeah, so, um, well, let's focus, well, let's focus on D'Angelo, because, because, of course, he's been getting a tremendous amount of hype. And I would say it's warranted to a large extent. Now, last week I talked about his 52-point performance against who was it, Okoji and the Timberwolves. And I said it was the most impressive 50-point performance I've ever seen. When it comes to D'Angelo, of course, when you look at the eye test, an incredibly smooth player. I would say one of his most underrated traits is how good a pass he is. Um, I would say it's almost a savant level of passing. It, his bounce pass, for example, the amount of spin and rotation he can place on that. Sometimes it seems like it's... I don't know if you've seen the film with Angelina Jolie, but the, the one where they, like, curve bullets. But the way he, like... He would have these, like, curved bounce passes, and you just think to yourself, I, I didn't even know that was possible with the basketball. But, um... Well, you know, some of, some of us do know. You know, I, I thought as the best basketball player on this podcast you would but it seems it, it, it seems Samuel Samuel Jeffries has overtaken you in that aspect ah ah um 
that's a bit presumptuous on both your part and on his part. Um, Thank you. Not to say that it's incorrect, but when it comes so when it comes back to D'Angelo, seeing him as the primary facilitator, um, okay, that does work in terms of utilizing his uh, passing strength. But one thing we are actually starting to see is Steve Kerr said he wants Draymond to somewhat start. Um, not being the like primary ball handler, but for example, on fast breaks, like Draymond, um, when we look at two, three seasons ago, the Draymonds of two, three seasons ago, he pretty much uh, was the kickstart of that offense. And I think the route they've been going so far with like high pick and rolls with um, Russell and Colley Stein and with uh, D'Angelo settling for mid ranges and tough three pointers like you can even see it in his efficiency splits he's only been shooting around 35 percent from three and maybe 45 percent i think from the field and considering how well he's actually been shooting because of the difficulty of the shots i think they need to start going back to that motion offense which uh they saw so much success with in their championship years that's fair enough um just going on their roster you mentioned <laughs> Willie Corley Stein, and obviously, if you mentioned someone to a year ago that he'd be playing such a key part in the Warriors' offense, someone you know, you probably would have probably would have had a, having a bit of a laugh with that. Um, there are, however, some youngsters who have shined on this Warriors team, and of course, when you are rebuilding or tanking or retooling or however you want to, however the GMs want to refer to it, you do often get these gems out of the rough that have the minutes to shine some I mean some of these rookies will just turn out to be offensive black holes some of them will turn out just to be plain old waste men uh, in 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 British slang but you have the likes Sorry. I think of Eric Paschal who's really showing up and let's face it next season when you got Curry back when you got Draymond in the team when you got D'Angelo with a year under his belt at the Warriors you add Paschal to that you had a good centre to that. Uh, hello, the Warriors are back in business? Now, I may be wearing glasses, but when it comes to the eye test with Pashal, it doesn't pass it. He he does not receive the Viral verified certificate of good basketball player. Now, I, I can't really explain why. Um, well, well, I can, but I know there will be people who don't agree with me. But um, firstly, uh, lateral quickness, uh, agility and balance. I think he he's horrible uh, when it comes to those departments. Like He can jump high, but I've said before, athleticism doesn't comprise just like the vertical aspect. Where it's, do his uh, 15.6 points a game come from, Varal? It doesn't. That doesn't matter. That honestly, when we focus on um, points, when especially when it comes to like rookies or uh, sophomore players, like that shouldn't be the main focus because a lot depends on uh, the role you're playing in the team, uh, whether you're a tanking team or whatever. Um, so for me, he's always going to be limited in that respect. Like it, you don't see players uh, drastically say improve their balance, for example. Um, yeah, the couple of drives he has had to the rim is it's been 
horrible to watch, almost barreling his way there. <laughs> not particularly, he's not particularly a good ball handler, and it's his shot that most interests me because, of course, they are trying to utilize him as a stretch four, and um, it's it's a very weird shot. I just I I was trying to work out why it, it made me so uncomfortable, but I think potentially because he releases it slightly late, but he also does use his legs very uh, a bit too much. I think. They flare out too far in front of him, and he jumps very high, which isn't a problem. But he also doesn't look very balanced from his legs. Like his upper body looks fine, apart from maybe releasing a bit late. Um, his upper body looks fine, but his lack of balance combined with how much his legs flare forward, like um, it doesn't seem like it's it can be a consistent three-point shot, which is again it's shown by the statistics and. Um, this is actually something that's running through this Warrior team currently. They don't have uh, very many uh, good three-point shooters playing oh, right now. Would, um, that would be an understatement. Um, yeah, they've the been shooting only, absolutely The only person at- shooting, shooting above 40% this season is actually one of their veterans, Alec Burks, who has been one of the shining lights, um, as it were, and was and, and has proved yeah. to be a good pick um, I believe uh, Glenn Robinson the third as well. He's shooting, uh, he's shooting 37.1%. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, D'Angelo's, just for the, some other, just for some context, D'Angelo's 35.4%. Damian Lee is 34.3%. Draymond uh, is good for him, 28%. And Eric Pichal, <laughs> 24.1%. Well, well, he doesn't pass the eye test or the stats test then. But uh, yeah, yeah, uh, Jordan played... Paul is probably been the biggest surprise. He's had a massive slump considering how he was being hyped up as um, the, potentially part of the Splash family because he was shooting so well in the preseason and um, he was known as a shooter in college. Um, his confidence has been emphasised by the coaching team, but. Um, Hopefully, you know, he'll find his way out of his slump because, again, it doesn't look like anything he's doing anything particularly wrong. But there have been a couple of uh, poor shots when it comes to selection choice. But uh, like I said with, um, who is it, Devontae Graham last week? He, yeah. He has been in an unfortunate position where sometimes he would be getting the ball very late on in the shot clock, Jordan Paul and just basically being forced to hoist it up. Uh, whereas Devontae Graham was more calm and composed and making the right decision and not focusing on, you know, the short amount of time left on the shot clock. Uh, Jordan Poole, I think, is still yet to learn that and he's, he's been panicking. So hopefully he'll find his way out of that, but um, we'll basically wait and see. Well, let me firstly say that was some fantastic sort of ergonomic analysis on Eric Pichal before. And I encourage all our fans to sort of take a look at some videos of him shooting to see what, to see exactly what Varel meant. Um, the other question I'm asking is, let me give you this scenario. Next season, the Warriors starting lineup, Stephen Curry, D'Angelo Russell, Clay Thompson at the three, then you've got Draymond and you've got Eric Pichal. On the bench, you have the likes of Willie Cauley-Stein, Alec Burks, Glenn Robinson, Damian Lee, maybe a couple of pickups. You have Kevin Looney, of course. Does that team win the championship? No way. No way. If you'd said 
Potentially that could come, they could get to the uh, Western Conference Finals, but win a championship, no way. That's a break. That's, that's a... So that begs the question then, what's the Warriors' next stage? Can Curry ever win a ring again in Oakland? Is 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 it well, is it possible? I'll deflect this question back to you because this is of course very heavily dependent on how not only um, Clay of course comes back from his injury, but also Steph that he has he has received an injury in his left hand, which is his guiding hand, and um, I don't actually know the history of NBA players and um, their uh, hand injuries and how that affects their future performance and whether that does affect shooting. Uh, I don't know if there's a precedent for that, and I haven't looked it up personally. Potentially, it's something I'll look up in the next week. However, but, we're uh, just working on the sort of hypothetical that Curry and Clay would come back to, you know, say at least 90% of their um, of their previous the ability, See, seeing as they are essentially the taking a whole season off each. Is that, that that that's so very rarely happens, Camille, from an ACL. It, it, it rarely happens because of the lack of rest and the need to rush people back. I think if they have a whole season off with very careful rehabilitation, there, there could be a different effect. However, we are working in hypotheticals here. And that was just a question I think the, the answer was almost in the question or the point was almost in the question. That it showed that the Warriors, when healthy, still have a very good team. Yeah, the Raptors may have destroyed that dynasty, but they still yeah. have an excellent team. Um, Draymond yeah, that's will, very true. yeah, Dray, Draymond, and of course, as I mentioned before, the benefits of being a tanking team, a rebuilding team, is that you have the ability, you have the flexibility to give sort of these diamonds in the rough space to grow. And we've only, well, arguably, we've only seen Eric Paschal so far. Although you don't, you agree, we haven't seen anyone so far. But you know, you could see, you could see Omari, you could see Kevin Looney, Marcus, Marquis, Chris. Jordan Poole making impact and at least being able to be solid role players for next season and it's a luxury yeah. not many teams have but the Warriors can sort of act on it and yeah it's going to be frustrating yeah. Yeah. I'm going to win many games this season I'm, okay they're not going to be like the the Bobcats but you know they aren't getting anywhere near 10th seed for example um, anything more to add on the Warriors before we move on to our next? Just, just a very, very quick last point. Um, I believe their pick for this season. So, when it comes to uh, going for the lottery, I think it's top twenty protected. So as long as they end up in the lottery, the Nets won't end up with their pick. So, yeah, uh, going very smart. with very smart going with the tank. Um, I've already been seeing some James Wiseman to the Warriors meme. So if that happens for them um i would call rigged and we all know the nba is rigged but that would be very fortunate for them you better watch for adam silver just out your window right now we're, we're exposing too yeah, many man. things on this on this podcast you know yeah there's a red dot uh, on my forehead and i'm not really sure how it got there but is there is there a bold man in the tree outside Mate, I've I've been seeing him for the last two weeks, so that might be. Oh, he's strange. he's already on to you, yeah. But you you were making some comments before about him as well, weren't you? So, you know. Uh... Yeah, I I speak to him as well. Um, so. 
Oh yeah, of course he's a he's a reliable source of yours who's now has been exposed. One first rule of journalism. <laughs> anyway, we're going to we're going to move on to sort of look taking a, a deeper look at another team who I don't think we've mentioned this season, whether it be in the preseason predictions podcast or any of the last four episodes. Which is strange because their star player is one of is arguably a Raptors legend. We're talking about the San Antonio Spurs and DeMar DeRozan. Of course, um, they've just come. Oh, off. I thought you were going to say Jakob Pertl there. Fair enough. Oh man, I I I missed an opportunity there, but Jakob Pertl uh hasn't well hasn't started a game for them yet, so uh, I do I do apologise for his la- lack of roles under Greg Popovich. In any sense, they just come off a loss to the Orlando Magic. The Spurs, of course are not a tanking team. The Magic, of course, are a rebuilding team. DeRozan is top scorer in the Spurs with 20 points a game. The next is LaMarcus Aldridge. And after that, you get the likes of Patty Mills, Brian Forbes and Rudy Gay, not to mention DeJounte Murray. This is not a good Spurs team at the moment. They're five and seven. They, according to the latest 538 figures, are very likely to finish in the bottom their record is likely to be in the bottom three of all NBA teams in both conferences. Bro, what's, really? what's wrong That's with the Spurs? So their their predicted outcome is to finish bottom three of the whole NBA? Yeah, that's right. That's according to the latest 538 figures. Oh, okay. What is wrong with the Spurs? Wow. Um, because again, you... Rattling off those lists of names, um, you were never expected. They they have a lot of veteran depth, as the Spurs always seem to have, and promising young players based on last year's performances. Now, when we look at Dejounte Murray or Bryn Forbes or um, Lonnie Walker, who's um, he's been very surprising this year with how, firstly how he's been treated, but also really how poorly he's played in the very limited time that he's been given but yeah this team is almost an enigma to me um, their de- defense has been pretty poor o- offensively now ho- I hope you don't take great offense with this but I think this team only has so much of a ceiling when it comes to being an offensive powerhouse because they by far and away take the least amount of threes in the whole NBA, and this has has been a strategy, a deliberate strategy by Popovich ever since last season. But the difference between last season and this season is, last season they actually shot very very well from three, despite the fact that they were shooting so few. Whereas this season they're, I think, it's around 35% from three, so they're like a middling percentage for teams. And yeah, it's 35% uh, throughout the team. Do you want to have a guess who the best uh, shooter? I, I know this, and I'm not surprised at all because he was lights out at the FIBA World Championship, but it is Patty Mills. Oh, yeah, 44.4%. Yeah. Uh, Derek White comes in as the only other 40% and over shooter. And Brian Forbes, who takes 7.5 three-point attempts a game. Yeah. It's just yeah. shooting 38% from the field. But you said, no, just is, it's still very, very good. Uh, it's above average, at least. And he is known as a sharp shooter and he shot fantastically well last season. Um, 
being the main three-point scoring threat, I, I still would expect that percentage to rise given how he shot last season. Yeah, that's fair enough. Well, another problem is they're two star players. They're performing, but they're not really giving that wow factor. They haven't. They've got no one with that sort of Kawhi, LeBron, Van Vliet sort of level that we're so used to when talking about legends of the NBA. Um, DeRozan, as I mentioned, is shooting uh, 20 points a game. But there's been a lot of complaints in San Antonio circles about a so-called washed-up LaMarcus Aldridge. Do you think at the age of 34 it's just a sign of the decline, much like we've seen with Marc Gasol? Marcus Gasol, um, I've I've added Gordon, not Gordon Hayward, sorry, Al Horford to that list, um, which is why I was down on the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, our age definitely has a role to play. Um, but his his game was never really predicated upon using his athleticism whatsoever. It was always when he was in the post, it was about uh, footwork and using the glass, for example. Um, from mid-range, of course, it was really shooting all the smaller defenders and honestly defenders his size because it would always be fadeaways right from the mid-range um so i don't know how big a factor age plays but for me they those two are the typical example of statistically it it looks fine they're both i think lamarca's shooting around 50 percent from the field and like you said they're shooting good number of points but they're both so limited offensively like um when you look at uh uh, yeah, again, I, I didn't want you to take offense to this, but when you look at DeMar DeRozan, like, people harp on about Ben Simmons not shooting threes. Like, DeMar DeRozan, it needs to be talked about how he still hasn't gone beyond the three point line, given the fact that he's such a solid mid range shooter. It's, well, it's really, really I bizarre. Think, well, I think that's down to purely Greg Popovich, because we remember under Dwayne Casey in his last season, in Toronto, Demar was shooting threes at around a 34-35% rate. He proved he can take them, and he was hitting, you know, an average an average of a three a game, and at least proving to be a threat from beyond the perimeter, which always helps spacing and and the like. So it's it's definitely a case of Greg Popovich essentially saying, "Don't do what you're not good at." We, you know, give the ball to Brian Forbes or Paddy Mills to shoot those threes. Interesting. So, see, I would then say there that that's a very out, almost outdated form of coaching because you need a threat, a three-point threat from every position in today's modern NBA so that, you know, the help defense doesn't cheat over so that you have really more space on the floor. So, you know what, maybe it's Pop who's seen the decline with age, man. Maybe he's not as mentally sharp as he once was. Um... I don't want to throw around the word senile. Oh my God! No, excuse me. We're, you know, we don't want any age discrimination. I, I didn't know that about Tomorrow, though. I didn't. I didn't realize he was uh, making like one free a game in Toronto. Um, I just assumed this was part of his uh, career trajectory of just not shooting through. So. No, well, the thing with Demar and Aldridge is that it might not actually be Pop's fault in the end. I say about the coaching, but let's face it. If we look at the stats, when Aldridge is on the floor, the Spurs are outscored by 11 points for 100 possessions. When DeRozan's on the floor, they're outscored by 9 points per 100 possessions. However, 
this is even proving even worse on the defensive end. The yeah. Spurs, you know, okay, when DeRozan plays, they're about even scoring. But when Aldridge plays, the Spurs are scoring 3.9 fewer points than their opponents per 100 possessions. Opponents are then scoring seven points more when Aldridge is in when Aldridge is on the defensive end, and nine points more per 100 possessions when DeRozan is on the defensive end. So basically, overall, the Spurs suck defensively, especially when both Aldridge they, they and DeRozan are on suck. the floor. Yeah. They absolutely suck so hard. And in, in, this is individually as well. Well, you look at Bryn Falls, he's put on a little bit of muscle this offseason. Still not a good defender. Um, uh, DeMar DeRozan's always been a pretty horrible defender. He would always have concentration lapses, but also when it comes to man-to-man defense, like he's, his head would always be over his toes. Um, poor lateral quickness, not a good defender. Lamarcus Aldridge again, talking about stats meaning nothing. He's had, I think he's around two blocks a game, and if you actually look at him as the, you know, the post defender, like he is not a good post defender at all. Um, he's horrible at moving his feet. Um, if he ever has to come out anywhere near the three point line, um, again, he can't, he's not good at that whatsoever. Um, you, you look at Marco Benelli, who's possibly had one of the worst starts Bellinelli. of all NBA players, given the fact that he's always been a defensive liability and he shot so, so horribly starting this season. So, um, yeah, I mean, the only plus side on the defensive end is DeJounte Murray. And even he's not a plus side because, again, watching the tape, and, and this is something that's highlighted in reports, but... He, he risks a lot of steals, meaning um, he he goes for far too many steals. And when they don't work out, he's basically giving up like wide open shots and um, layups. So he needs to learn to play within the system more. So much so that people have suggested that Derek White potentially sits, uh, take the point guard position. Uh, and that's not just because of his defensive flaws, despite being such an excellent one-on-one defender, but offensively as well, he's not really getting this uh, team kick-started. He's not much of a playmaker. So um, when it comes to San Antonio, a lineup change is something that's been deliberated a lot. So potentially seeing Rudy Gay come in so that DeMar... So DeMar's currently play, been playing as a shooting forward because Ben Falls has been playing shooting guard. And one of DeMar's big strengths has always been, you know, shooting over smaller players as a shooting guard from the mid-range. And he hasn't been able to do that at the shooting forward position. So potentially seeing Rudy Gabe come back into the team for Brim Forbes, maybe. So you also have a more solid defensive team and that allows, um, I would argue, more playmaking uh, with Rudy Gay in the team, but also you see DeMar go back into his natural position. So potentially that could be a way forward. Yeah, well, another way forward, as suggested by one particular writer, Matt uh, Matt Ellentuck of SB Nation, is actually just to deal either DeMar or LaMarcus Aldridge before the trade deadline. This is, of course, if we go back to the start, is... Another example of the Raptors destroying a dynasty. Greg Popovich, one of the greatest coaches, is having 
his reputation tarnished because Masai Ujiri fleeced the San Antonio Spurs for Kawhi yeah. Leonard. Absolutely fleeced. And I think they're reaping reaping what they sowed a couple of seasons ago now and heavily regretting that deal. But let's let's just say they do they do trade either maybe DeRozan or Marcus Aldridge, you know, the only players who really got any trade value on that team. Malintuck says Kevin Love might be a good fit on the Spurs. He's, of course, uh, a hybrid sort of big man. He can shoot the three, as you said. And more importantly, in Greg Popovich's sort of share-the-ball system, he fits in very well. He's, again, a Gasol-type player on that aspect. Do you think he'll work? Do you think he'll work in San Antonio? Should a trade go through for one of those two players? Yes, um, absolutely. But then again, you ask yourself, is uh, Damar and Love Tandem good enough to win a championship? Probably not. But it definitely is an improvement. But the thing you have to worry about there is what else do the Spurs have to give up? If it's Derek White? Derek White, is that? Yeah, but of course I feel very sort of reluctant if I was Pop to give up uh, such a brilliant young point guard even though they have got DeJounte Murray and of course Paddy Mills as sort of the backup the veteran presence there Derek White um, last season impressed a lot after the main point guard went down so uh, it's obviously a difficult one yeah it's very difficult Um, yeah again who who, have there there been any rumours for who they would trade DeRozan for that'd be interesting to know uh no there's there's not so much rumors on that front it might be one of them it just might be one of i mean there might be uh what sb nason have suggested is there uh perhaps kevin love for lamarcus aldridge uh some picks and a player like a youngster like lonnie walker or keldon um right and maybe they'll trade DeRozan for some more young assets or picks so who knows so who knows? Because DeRozan, yeah, if, if you want to get some laughs, Camille, just watch um, watch uh, all of Lonnie Walker's contributions this season, because <laughs> he'll come onto the court for like two minutes, he'll he'll make a stupid turnover, and he's just out of the game. I just feel <laughs> really bad for him because ruthless pop. <laughs> it is ruthless pop because this is something that he did with, of course, um when we talk about like the young Tony Parker or I believe he did it with Manu Ginobili as well but um, yeah he really really likes pushing that button with his players especially with younger players to see whether they are resilient and whether they can come through it Um, so yeah I I do hope he gets more than I think he's around 15 minutes played total this season so far um, which is ridiculous given how well he played last season, but the main player he would be taking minutes off is Bellinelli, who's had a terrible start to the season. So um, I really do hope to see him get some more time. Great. And I think with that, we're going to end it. And I guess we take one lesson from this, and that's don't deal with the Raptors, whether you're playing them or trading with them. You're going to come out on the wrong end of it sometime. God's sake. And uh, who knows, your, uh, your dynasty, your legacy might be destroyed forever with one snap of Masai's fingers and Masai Ujiri more like Masai Thanos to me sir brilliant that, that was really that was amazing Tom. I'm gonna use thank, that man. thank you thank yeah. I appreciate that 
um i hope you enjoyed as well uh splash man's uh well he comes as splash man we mean samuel jeffrey uh he actually got the inside scoop on the mellow trade he uh he gave me a call last week and he said he's heard he you know he collaborates with the likes of jason quick and he's sort of heard that the blazers were moving in that direction he called me last week and he uh, said uh-huh, uh-huh. he told me that of course Mello, Damian Lillard wanted Mello and he invited Mello to Portland uh, okay. to play and then before Mello went to Houston last season of course uh, and he rejected it and you know Dame was really looking to get that sort of third scorer on the court especially with so many big men injured so yeah you've uh, you, you've heard all that you followed him uh but it's that we've sort of analyzed three, uh, taken a deep dive into three disappointing slash rebuilding Western Conference teams. We hope you've enjoyed this bonus podcast for your ears. Well, bless their ears one more time. See you later. See you later.